I'm going to open us up with prayer, and then I'm going to give you guys a chance to mill about and say hello to each other. So let's pray this morning. God, we are um, really grateful that uh, we have this day, Sunday, on which we can pause and we can gather together in this place of worship, that we can sing songs, that we can open the scriptures and study them, that we can um, pray like we're doing right now, that we can take up an offering and see what kind of miraculous work you do with that. We're just really grateful because we know that uh, this is not the reality for a lot of people in the world. Uh, places where church is illegal or frowned upon <clears throat> and people have to meet secretly uh, and in small groups and in homes. We're thankful that we can uh, just come to this place uh, openly in, in the freedom that we have right here in the U.S. And so we worship you today. We don't take this lightly. Um, this is not just another thing to check off for the week for us. Uh, this is actually the place where we come to get energized for the week. It's the place where we get to check in with each other and see how they're doing and how we might lift them up in prayer, uh, helping each other along this journey of faith. And so we ask that we would feel your presence. We know you're present in all places at all times, but that we would see and hear and feel your presence, that your Holy Spirit would just be poured out upon us <clears throat> that as we do these things today, that we might hear a word from you, a word that would change us, that we would leave here a different people. God, we know that we come to this place with some things that we've done wrong this week. Uh, we don't want that to stand in the way from hearing from you, and so we just confess them to you right now. Uh, the things that we've done and left undone, the things we've done intentionally and unintentionally, um, speak to us about the things we need to do to kind of remedy some of those mistakes. But we just take a moment to pause and say to you the things we wish to confess in the quiet of our own hearts right now. God, we know that Jesus came and died for us while we were yet sinners, and that proves how you feel about us. We thank you that in the name of Jesus we are forgiven. We also want to lift up to you names and situations that are heavy on our hearts this morning. We just want to give these things over to you and trust in your uh, perfect plans and in your love. And so hear us now as we call these. In your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, 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 in your mercy, hear our prayer. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, I'm sure that there are some concerns here this morning that we don't even know how to vocalize. We give those to you as well. We know that the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf when we don't have words to articulate our prayers. So hear that prayer and remove uh, the weight that we're feeling of those things. Free us to worship you in spirit and in truth this morning. May you receive all the glory and praise. And it is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Listen now for a word from the Lord. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town. A man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors, was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. Everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I had cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. The human one came to seek and save the lost. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A little bit different today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down. I wanted to have a little chat today, if that's possible. First, I wanted to tell you about my, uh, our vacation. I know some of you saw some of the pictures on Facebook. We uh, took 10 days. We went up to uh, Missouri, where I'm originally from, the St. Louis area, and Elena. Uh, my hometown is Washington, Missouri. Elena was just across the, the train tracks and the river in Marthasville, Missouri. Is that, is that bad? She was... Um, Washington, you know, hey, Washington is known as the corncob pipe capital of the world. Anybody smoke a pipe? Nobody's going to admit it. Has anybody seen the corncob pipes, right? Like Tom Sawyer used to smoke? Those come from Washington, Missouri, my hometown. There you go. So anyway, we went up there, spent a few days with Elena's parents. Uh, then my nephew, my brother, Stephen, and his wife, they live in St. Louis, more in St. Louis. And so we drove into St. Louis, and my nephew was getting married, and we went to his wedding. It was lovely. Then we went up to Hannibal, Missouri, where the Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn books were written, and Mark Twain was from. We saw his boyhood home. Uh, and then we made our way up to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Now, my brother Danny and his husband Thomas live up there. They just recently moved from New York, and so we went to see their house and spend some time. 
up there and then made our way back. Now here's what I tried to do. I, I tried to hook some of this cool air from Minnesota, the low humidity cool air to the bumper of my car and drag it down. It, it sprung a leak. It did not make it here. When I got here, it felt like 108 uh, was the heat index. Whoo! It's hot. Uh, you know, you guys will uh, get to know me more and more as we spend time together, as I'm here longer. One of the things you'll figure out is that when I go on vacation, uh, I tend to come back with something to say. Um, for some reason, when I go on vacation, God tends to speak to me about what I'm supposed to say when I get back. And I'm like, God, I'm on vacation. Can we talk about this later? And God says, no, this is the time that you can hear me the most. And so, um, so God's been talking to me over these 10 days. And he's been talking to me about Grace Church and about my role as a pastor. And I was thinking about the role of a pastor. Uh, comes from the Greek word for shepherd. I don't know if you guys knew that. Pastor is a shepherd, really, in, in the scriptures. And I was thinking about how a shepherd really has uh, two roles when it comes to uh, the flock that is in his care. One of those is to make sure that the flock is growing and staying healthy, uh, finding new pastures, green grass, right, all of that. The other thing that, that a shepherd does is to make sure that his flock is safe, right? But you can, you can get into one of those two areas uh, and, and maybe play it too safe at times or take unnecessary risks. You can, you can slide on one of those two too much. But I was thinking about how a lot of churches tend to play it safe. You know, when I was up in uh, Minneapolis on Sunday, I thought, I'm going to just attend the closest United Methodist Church that is here. And so I found one around the corner and, and went. Historic old building, uh, probably about 20 people in attendance. And I thought, you know, th this is one of those churches that has probably been around for a long, long time. You can tell by the historic building. Um, but I, th I think their days are probably numbered, you know. I don't know where, if they'll be around in 20 years. I think those 20 people will be 10 and then 5, and then eventually they won't be able to afford to keep the doors open anymore. It's kind of sad. And I was thinking about us here at Grace Church. Um, how many, just look around, how many people do you think are here today? You had to take a guess. How many? You think 35? 45? We had to do a quick count. Where's Jason? 47 outside of the band. 61 total? Okay, so 61 total people. We've been averaging, um, you know, I keep track, I uh, plug in the numbers every week into a conference website. We have averaged 68 people um, in attendance throughout the year. So some weeks you have more, some weeks you have less. Easter, of course, is a big week, which boosts your numbers up. But we're averaging about 68 people on a Sunday morning. And somebody told me that uh, there were a couple points in Grace history where, where it was starting to look like that Methodist church that I went to up in Minneapolis couple times in its history down to about 30 people 35 people and it was kind of kind of one of those moments you know what what's going to happen here and I thought you know we might be 
we might be heading toward a place like that again in, in, in grace church history, perhaps. Like this might be a critical moment for us. Uh, right now, we're averaging about 70 people. Uh, there's 61 here today. Um, this might be a critical moment for us. And as a pastor, as a shepherd who has been assigned to this church for the foreseeable future, uh, I haven't gotten any word from the bishop that I'm going to be moving anywhere anytime soon. You know, my, my job now is to kind of figure out um, on that scale of making sure the church is healthy and growing and the church is playing it safe or keeping safe, uh, how far do we go in one direction or the other? Have we been playing it too safe as of late? I got to tell you, my hope as a pastor is that um, y'all would be on board to maybe risk finding some new fields and some new grass to munch and to uh, maybe zap some new life into this thing. Now, I can go either way as your pastor, but I'm hoping that you all would say, you know, there's something special here. And we need to see what God wants to do with us because God's not done with Grace Church. I'm not saying we're anywhere close to being done, right? There, there's a lot of places with five people in church this morning. 61 is really good. But I think this could be a critical moment for us. And so what I want to know from you today is if I kind of shared with you what God was speaking to me over these last 10 days on vacation, and it involved maybe... Uh, risking um, finding some new pastures, would you guys be open to that idea? Would you want to hear about that? What if I told you that this plan, this, this thing that God's been sharing with me, would require that each and every one of you take a role in that? Would you still want to hear it? Would you still want to know? Good. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> you know, I told you a few weeks ago that I had a dream on Easter night. You remember, were you guys here for that? Most of you people. I had this dream on Easter night, and uh, I was half awake and half asleep. I knew that I was dreaming, um, but I also knew that that what I was hearing was not from me. It was, you know, I don't. It was just one of those weird things. It was just like one voice telling my brain this this is the um, model for ministry that you really need to consider and it was the story of Zacchaeus that I read L let me read this again this is a story we all know uh, fame we, we even have children's songs about this Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town a man there named Zacchaeus a ruler among tax collectors was rich he was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed up a sycamore tree, couldn't see, uh, so he could see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay at your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. Everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, 
I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. The human one, or the son of man, came to seek and save the lost. Now the way that, that this story is usually presented is that um, Zacchaeus was a sinner, that uh, he had been cheating people out of money and gotten wealthy off the backs of other people. And so when Jesus kind of calls him out of the tree, he has a come to Jesus moment and uh, changes his ways. And so salvation has come to the home of Zacchaeus. That's a story we've pretty much heard, right? We, is, is that fair to say that that's the interpretation you've heard? I want to give you the Jimmy Calvert interpretation, okay? Because this has been translated into English so that we might read it. But it was written in Greek. And the Greek words, when you start digging into them, sometimes new, new things pop out. And, and translators, as they're putting it down for you in English, they have to make interpretive decisions based on what they think the text is saying. First thing I want to point out is Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. He's not just a tax collector. He is a ruler among tax collectors. Okay, He commands tax collectors. You guys know tax collectors work for the Romans. The Romans are the ones collecting taxes. And so they, they employ Jewish people to go out and get the taxes from their fellow Jews. Right? So that, that's strike number one. You're working for the bad guys. You're working for the wrong people. Secondly, it tells us that Zacchaeus was rich. Now, if you're being taxed by an oppressor, someone who's occupying your land, uh, you're struggling to get by, and there's this guy that's working for the Romans to collect taxes that you don't think are fair anyway, and this guy is rich while you're struggling through, that's probably strike number two. We don't like folks showing off their wealth when we're struggling, right? Especially when, it, when it's perceived that this has been gotten in a uh, not very nice way, not a good way. The third thing, though, is, and this is going to blow your mind, verse 3, he was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. It's really weird. When you look into the Greek... That phrase, a short man, uh, it, it, most scripture, most translations say short in stature. Stature, almost every other place in the Bible is, is translated as age. Short in age, or small in age, or young in age. What if Zacchaeus was not climbing the tree because he was a short man, but because he was young, rich, working for the Romans, and the crowd is hostile to who he is as a person. And so he climbs into a tree because he wants to see Jesus, but the crowd is not a safe place to do that. Is that a fair interpretation? It's not the interpretation that we normally hear, but I think it's doable because the Greek does say young age, almost everywhere else. So it's weird that they would make him a short person, height-wise. We know that the crowd wasn't happy that Jesus wanted to hang out with him. When Jesus said, hey, come out of the tree so we can hang out today, the crowd immediately started grumbling. They don't like Zacchaeus. 
So I think that fits pretty well. He's climbing a tree because the crowd is a hostile place, but he really wants to see Jesus. He really wants to get a glimpse of this guy that he's heard about. And then Jesus wants to hang out with him. Now, Zacchaeus, some translations say when, when this invitation happened, that Zacchaeus says, look, I'm making a decision now. From now on, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to pay them back four times the amount. The Greek actually says, my translation, look, Lord, I give half my possessions to the poor. I already give away half of my wealth. Yeah, I might be rich, but I give half of it away right off the top. And if I've ever cheated anybody, I make sure they get paid back four times the amount. I'm not the man this crowd thinks that I am. I've been judged unfairly. It's hostile toward me, and, and I'm not at fault here. And so when Jesus says salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham, I think what Jesus is saying is, I am restoring Zacchaeus back into the community because he too is a son of Abraham. Working for the Romans is not against the law. Being wealthy is not against the law. Being young is not against the law. And you all need to see Zacchaeus differently. And I'm standing up for him. I'm standing in solidarity with Zacchaeus. And I'm telling you, God loves him too because he's a son of Abraham. Just like you all are sons and daughters of Abraham. I think that's what's going on in this story. And so in this dream that I'm having... You know, on Easter night is with this interpretation that, you know, there are, there are folks out there like Zacchaeus um, who long to see a glimpse of Jesus but don't feel safe. And so they're trying to do it from safe places. And part of what our missional model would be would be to find those Zacchaeuses. And so in, in this half-awake scenario on Easter night, I was like, yeah, that makes total sense. I like that, God. Okay, don't let me forget this. I, uh, as, as a Methodist pastor, I have access to uh, this demographic uh, software called Mission Insight. We all have access to it. All the pastors do. We can plug in our information. It will give us anything that you really want to know about your community. I ran a couple of reports yesterday. Um, the first report that I ran is how many people in Palestine, the city limits of Palestine, how many people are active in a congregation? And it gave me the figures for uh, 2011 and 2021, 10 years later. In 2011, how many people do you think in Palestine City were attending a congregation? Give me a number. How much? 55, would you say, Susie? Okay, give me a percentage. This is, this is based in percentage. Okay, so 35% in 2011. 65% of people were not attending any church or congregation of any sort. Sunday morning, they sleep in. 65% in 2011. In 2021, what do you think it was? 
It ain't less, folks. It's, it's, it's more, right? So in 2021, about 27% attend church, about 73%. 73% of folks in Palestine don't go anywhere on Sunday morning. Here's the second report I ran. Reasons for not going to church. And they have all kinds of um, categories. Demands of raising children, you know, uh, conflicts within your religious community. All kinds of, of reasons why you might not go to church. And a whole lot of people, when asked this question, well, why don't you go to church? They said, we, we don't really know. We just don't go. But for the folks that could articulate, I'll tell you exactly why I don't go to church. Guess what the number two reasons were? Number one reason why people definitely, these are the folks that could articulate, this, I'm telling you exactly why I don't go to church. Number one reason, well, that might be down the line, but the first one is they don't trust organized religion. That's the number one reason. I don't go to church because I don't trust them folks. Number two reason, not far behind it. I mean, right there. Religious people are too judgmental. You think that fits? 73% of people in Palestine don't go to church because church folks are too judgmental and they don't trust us. Does that sound like Zacchaeus to you? I want to see this Jesus guy, but I don't trust that crowd. I'm going to climb up in this tree so I can stay safe. These folks that do not go to church, if I, if I were to run a report on number of people in Palestine that consider themselves Christian, it would probably be a pretty high number. 75 to 80% probably, I would imagine. These folks that are staying home, it's not because they don't like Jesus. It's not because they don't think Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. It's that they don't trust the church. They don't trust the people who, who call themselves followers of Jesus. I think that's fascinating. Several years ago, I uh, came across a book. It was actually uh, suggested to me by several people. And so I got it and read it. Um, and thought it was just fabulous. It's called Church Unique by Will Mancini. The premise of this book, Church Unique, is that, you know, uh, Chuck, Chuck Knows Church just told us that, that the Great Commission, Jesus says, go out and make disciples in my name, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teach them all the things that I've told you, right? This is the Great Commission. This is, this is the... the the mission being handed over to the disciples and it spread like wildfire. Will would say every church in Palestine, every church that exists anywhere, it, its job is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is, that is the goal, to tell people about Jesus and to draw in new disciples. But what Will says is that how each church does that is very different from one church to the next. So one church may, may feel led to uh, reach out to the cowboys, 
churches. So we have cowboy churches. Uh, other folks say, we're going to cater to the bikers. We have biker churches. We have charismatic churches. We have all kind, every flavor of church. Will says, each church is like a snowflake in that it's unique in how it achieves the Great Commission to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And he asked the question in there, how are you, Grace Church, how are you uniquely gifted and, and empowered to make disciples in your context, in your town, knowing that every other church that, that's out there is also trying to make disciples in their unique way? How are you uniquely positioned to do that? Now, I, I have always thought that Grace Church was a little bit different in a good way, Right? I mean, before I, before I even knew much about Grace Church, my first interaction coming here to this, this building, uh, seeing the playground that was built by Sammy Hagar, the Red Rocker, um, seeing the golf course that is leased out to the school district uh, so that the students have a learning lab in lawn maintenance and, and business running a business, right? Um, seeing this space that used to be a restaurant with the full bar in the back, there is no doubt about it, Grace Church is one of the most unique churches I have ever encountered in my life. Right? Yeah. In fact, at conference this year, uh, Texas Methodist Foundation, TMF, uh, did a little story on on churches that have loans through TMF and the unique ways we were featured on that they said we have never heard of a church that has a golf course that they partner with the ISD uh, to to produce this kind of ministry right I mean no there's just nobody that doesn't happen anywhere and so I'm thinking okay God like here we are in this super unique church and we have um, all the, the tools and, and that we need at our fingertips. So how do we pull this off then? What, what is it that you're calling us to do? How does, the, how does Zacchaeus fit in with this idea? Who, who are we looking for exactly? And how do we approach them? And how do we call them out of the tree and down into the crowd? How, how do we do that? And so I'm on vacation, I'm spending these 10 days, I'm trying to be present with my family, I'm trying to enjoy uh, all the different things that we're doing. But at the same time, this, this story's kind of running in my head that I assume is God kind of laying stuff out, and I'm, I'm like taking mental notes. Okay, okay, okay. And so I came back with, from vacation um, with five key strategies to achieve this thing. And over the next five weeks, I would like to lay this out for you. Um, the series is going to be called Growing in Grace. Uh, I'm a human, so I'm, I'm flawed. I get things wrong all the time. I, I can't guarantee that if, we've, if we follow these five things that all of a sudden we're going to have a boom and a resurgence in our church, 
But I do think that, that it's worth trying. Because if you just play it safe, if you just stay comfortable, if you just keep coming on Sunday morning and going home and going about your business, then nothing new ever happens. And churches, this happens all the time to churches all, all over the U.S. and beyond. They begin to dwindle and they dwindle, and they don't really have the energy or the drive or the desire to do anything different or try anything or to listen for God's uh, leadership on this. And so eventually they close the doors. And that little church that I visited in Minneapolis, I think that's probably going to be their fate. I, I can't say for sure. I don't know. Maybe I'll keep an eye on them to see what happens. But I came back from vacation going, that's not Grace Church. That's not us. Um, God's not done with us. We're, 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 we're not going to dwindle until we're nothing, and then we have to shut the doors like so many. Because I don't think God's done with us yet. And so I'm going to lay out this, this uh, strategic values, I'm, I'm calling them, uh, ways in which I think that if you all will join me in participating in each of these five areas, that we might begin to see something. If, this, if there's anything to this dream that I had on Easter about the Zacchaeuses, if there's anything that correlates to the 73% the of people in Palestine that, that don't go to church because they don't think church is safe, if there's anything to that, what do you want to say? Oh, I'm sure they're aware that it's a church. But but organized religion can't be trusted and churchy people are too judgmental. And so I'll just play my golf, thank you very much, and So I, I, I think that where this is going to go for us is that the Zacchaeuses of the world need to see something different in us. That when we go out into Palestine and beyond, we present an option of glimpsing Jesus in a different way and in a safe environment. Okay? That's really where I think this is headed. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some rethinking this, this whole thing. And so what I'm asking you today is, can I lay this out for you in the next five weeks? I'm going to, but will you come to hear it? I, I'll, I'll preach to Ken if I have to. Will you come and hear it and pray about this and um, be open and willing to take on these five strategic values and let's see if let's see what happens with that okay that's where we're going with all this so this was a little bit different today this was more of a, a, a chat with you all uh, because for 10 days I've been on vacation and God has just been like speaking to me and you know and I'm like okay I got it I got it I'll talk to him when I get back God let me now let me go on vacation now I don't know. The last time I went on vacation, I came back. I, I just, you know, 
I think the church thought that was in Onalaska. They probably thought I was crazy. You know, this guy <laughs> comes back all fired up about something. But anyway, that's where we're going. And so I, uh, I want to pray, and then we're going to take communion together. And just want you, I'm planting the seed. I just want you to know I, I'm going to give you some challenges um, and some, some ways to be Grace Church in Palestine over the next five weeks. And I'm going to ask you to all to participate, okay? Let's pray. God, thank you for bringing this church into existence. I thank you for the historical marker that is out front that tells of our history and how we came into being and that you have used this church and this congregation over generations, different locations, uh, different uh, folks have come and gone, and yet this body of people continues to exist, and I don't think you're done with us. And so I want to hear what you have to say to us. I want to take it seriously, and I pray that you would grow your church through us. We know that ultimately we are not responsible for uh, converting people or bringing people into the fold. We're simply called to go out and preach the good news, and whoever responds, responds. And so we pray that that would happen, that the 73% of people who are uh, sleeping in this morning in Palestine, that they might consider... Grace Church, a place to call home, that they can find community here, that they can find transformation, that we can learn from them, that they can learn from us, and that you would use us in mighty ways as we head into the future. We thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for using us. May we be up to the challenge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you all grab the hand of the person next to you? Let's form a big chain through this place and receive this blessing today. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you're perfectly loved, you're completely forgiven, and you're uniquely empowered. And now you're called to go out into the world and live as God's faithful children. Guess what? You're going to make some mistakes this week, because we all do. But when you make those mistakes, it doesn't change how God feels about you. Because God's love for us is not based on our performance. That's the good news. God's love is rooted in His very nature, and it is by grace that He looks at us and says, Beloved, you are nothing but the best of the best of the best. And if we could just believe a pinch of that, think it would have the power to change this day and every day that follows. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please receive that good word and go from this place in peace.